everybody. Welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and it's conference championship weekend in the NFL. So in this episode, we'll break down the NFC and AFC championship games through the lens of the best football gambling podcasts, plus some original analysis. We'll also talk some beer and get into some bets. So to kick it off, let's dive into what we're hearing. Loud noises! As always, I've spent the week listening to the most prominent handicappers on the best NFL betting podcasts, and this episode features insights from nine bettors across six podcasts that totaled about nine hours worth of listening. I'll distill that down to about half an hour of the most actionable takeaways, including seven bets in total, and those bets encompass the point spread, total, and prop markets, plus some derivatives such as first quarter, first half, and team total bets, and another early Super Bowl wager. We should have two great games to watch this weekend, so let's have some fun with it. And a quick public service announcement right off the top. If you're holding a futures ticket on the Bucks, Packers, Bills, or Chiefs to win their conference or the Super Bowl, first off, well played. There's a lot of equity in those bets, but beware the temptation to hedge. I only recommend hedging in two scenarios. One, if it's a bet you'd make even if you didn't have that futures ticket, so it's got some standalone value. Or two, if it guarantees life-changing money. Otherwise, it can feel good to lock in a profit, but that comes at a cost. Forcing a bet you wouldn't make if not hedging equates to a hit to the expected value of your bankroll in the long run. Now, if you can't resist hedging or refusing to do so would take the joy out of it for you, I totally understand rewarding yourself and guaranteeing a profit. Just be mindful of the trade-off involved. And if your goal is to maximize your bankroll in the long run and you can exercise some emotional fortitude, when in doubt, let it ride. For example, if you listen to the wildcard weekend episode of this show, odds are you have a ticket on the NFC plus three and a half versus the AFC in the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl look-ahead line has since come down to AFC minus one and a half. So barring injury or other major developments this weekend, none of the four possible Super Bowl matchups would even have the AFC favored by as much as three. And that's great, but no plans here to hedge off that valuable position on the NFC plus three and a half. We bet it when we did for a reason. Things are generally going according to plan, and there's a slim chance that changes this weekend, but no need to dilute the value on that NFC plus three and a half ticket. Sometimes the best bet you can make is to do nothing. And now we will be doing something with this weekend's games. Coincidentally, they're both rematches from week six with the home field flipped. And we've got plenty to dig into. The full game sides and totals are largely hammered into place. So we'll take a deeper look at derivatives such as first quarter and first half lines as well as team totals. And of course the props market. And we've got quite possibly the four best teams still standing, fitting for a conference championship Sunday. Let's get to it. First up, the NFC Championship game, Tampa Bay at Green Bay. So we've got the Battle of the Bays on our hands. And the point spread as I record this Friday morning Pacific time, Packers laying 3 minus 125, or 3 and a half minus 105, total of 51 and a half. So we have another playoff game here that's hovering right around 3, the king of key numbers. And as a friendly reminder, betting on 2 or off of the 3 is worth a little less than 20 cents in this era of record scoring and the longer PAT. So... The Packers may well win this game by three, but the books are well aware of that, and they're pricing the key numbers at a premium. What this means in terms of betting value, if you're looking the Packers' way, laying three and a half for a reduced VIG of minus 105 is better than taking the minus three for the premium of minus 125. And on the Bucks side of things, taking plus three at plus 105 has more value than laying minus 115 for that extra half point getting Tampa Bay up to plus three and a half. 
And I know this might seem counterintuitive, but sacrificing the winning percentage for this individual bet is in the best interest of the long-term return on investment. It's going to be easy to kick yourself if the game lands on three and you lose with a Packers minus three and a half ticket or only push with a Bucks plus three ticket, but... Most of the time, three-point favorites don't win by exactly three points, and in all those cases, you benefit by taking the better price. Getting into the game, we have a lot of action on it. For the full game, four likes on the Packers, Adam Chernoff on the Simple Handicap, Steve Fezzik on the Even Money Podcast, Drew Dinsick on the Matchbook and Deep Dive Podcasts, and Matthew Holt on the Dream Preview. Quick note, Fezzik liked the Packers at minus three for a flat minus 110. That's not widely available, so we essentially had three likes on the Packers at the current consensus number. Also one like on the Bucks, TA on the Sharp Angles Podcast, and five likes on the Over, Adam, Suma on the Matchbook Podcast, Drew making the over his best bet on the Matchbook Podcast and also touching on it on the Deep Dive, also Drew's co-host Andy Molitor on the Deep Dive, and RJ Bell on the Dream Preview. Quick note that all these likes came at the key number of 51, so it does lose a little luster at the current number of 51.5. Aside from the full game, we also had a lot of derivative action for the NFC Championship. Two likes on the Packers in the first quarter, minus half a point at plus 105. Those came from Drew and Andy. Four likes on the Packers in the first half, laying two and a half points at minus 115. Drew, along with the dream preview consensus of RJ, Fezzik, and Matthew Holt. One like on the Packers' first half team total over. That was also Drew, but he liked it when the number was 13.5. Now that Packers' first half team total is up to 14, and that does change the equation. Also, two likes on the Packers' full game team total over. Andy and Drew making it the deep dive secret pod play, that number 27.5. And in case all the full game and derivative action wasn't enough, also some props in play here. One like on Leonard Fournette to go over 42.5 rushing yards. That came from the hitman on the Dream Preview. He said he liked it up to 48.5, and and I'm seeing a current consensus of 44.5 as that line for Fournette. Also one like on sacks under 4.5, good up to minus 120. That came from Fezzik on the Dream Preview. This number should be widely available closer to kickoff, but there were two likes going the other way, sacks over 4.5, and those came from Matthew Holt and RJ going head-to-head with Fezzik. Digging into the handicaps for the Packers' full game against the spread, again, those likes were Adam, Fezzik, Drew, and Matthew Holt. Adam led things off, noting the Bucks' defense let Saints wide receivers get open pretty often last week, but Drew Brees couldn't get the ball to them. That won't be a problem for Aaron Rodgers, and Adam notes that despite Brees struggling, the Saints were on the cusp of taking a two-touchdown lead in the third quarter before a fumble changed the complexion of the game, and he notes the Bucks also effectively had a pick six. They returned it to the three-yard line, so they're unlikely to get as lucky with turnovers this week. Fezzik shared that sentiment, and Matthew Holt added, it wasn't just the turnover the Saints committed, but that the Bucks didn't commit. Matthew Holt notes Tom Brady had three interception-worthy passes. Two of them were called interceptions on the field and then overturned, and I think it's worth pointing out that those overturns were correct, but I like Matthew Holt's point since it focuses on the process of turnover-worthy plays, not just the result of zero turnovers for the Bucks last week. Looking at Fezzik's handicap, he notes there could be a big fatigue factor in play, with this being the Bucks' fifth road game in six weeks, and I think that could be magnified considering the Packers have only had to travel once in the last six weeks. Fezzik also notes for the Bucks' offense, Mike Evans and Antonio Brown could be at less than 100%. Friday morning, we got word that Brown's going to be a game-time decision, so Fezzik thinks the wide receiver depth for the Bucks behind Chris Godwin could be an issue. And looking at Matthew Holt's handicap, he notes that the Bucks winning by double digits 
last weekend in New Orleans was the most misleading final score of the playoffs so far in his eyes. Tough to disagree with that point. And he also notes that when it comes to the Packers' home field advantage, it's not just about the weather or the limited crowd that they're going to have, but the unique playing surface that can often cause footing issues for visiting teams. On the Bucks side of things, T.A. said he was leaning their way on the Sharp Angles podcast, and then he confirmed that bet later on Twitter, and he notes the Packers have had the easiest schedule in the league based on opponents' net EPA, and using that metric, the Bucks have had the 10th toughest schedule, and I take his point there, but I think it's worth noting the Packers being so good plays a role in diminishing their opponents' stats when we look at that metric. TA also notes the Bucks are more battle-tested, including back-to-back playoff road wins, but on the flip side, I think the Packers' freshness heading into this matchup matters quite a bit as well. Looking at the over, we also had a bunch of likes on that one. Adam, Suma, Drew, Andy, and RJ. Leading off with Adam's handicap, he said he's willing to throw out the Packers' offense, putting up only 10 points in Tampa Bay in Week 6 as an outlier, that having been their worst game of the season. Suma agreed with that point, adding that Rodgers said after the game, the Bucks knew what was coming, and he expects the Packers to clean that up. Moving on with Adam's handicap, he points out that Week 6 total closed at 55, so we've seen a 3.5-point adjustment to the under, but since then, Adam calls out the Bucks' defense has gotten worse, and the offense has gotten better. They had a late season bye, and Brady since then has improved the timing with his wide receivers, so Adam thinks Tampa Bay is going to be able to hit some explosive plays on Sunday, and to that end, the weather, a big narrative going into this game, but the forecast doesn't look like it's going to inhibit scoring. Suma agreed with Adam on this point, and the latest forecast I've seen, temperatures in the high 20s, slim chances of light snow, that would be no big deal. It would actually enhance the viewing experience quite a bit, and wind is what can really be the kryptonite to a total due to its impact on a passing game, but we're projected to see minimal winds on Sunday afternoon at Lambeau Field. One more point in Adam's handicap, using the transitive property looking at last weekend's total between the Bucks and Saints, closing at 53, Adam says we've got the same Bucks team playing this week, and the Packers have a better offense and a worse defense than the Saints, so that should mean more points than the Bucks' closing total of 53 that we saw last week. RJ agreed with that point as well. Without calling it out explicitly, it seems like Suma would also agree with that point, since he said he thinks this total should be in the range of 53 to 54. He points out that last week, the Packers and Bucks both played in games that got to 50 points, with big quarterback limitations on the opposing side, Jared Goff, as well as Breeze playing at less than full strength. Rodgers and Brady should be in good shape this Sunday, and they're going up against defenses worse than the Rams and the Saints. Suma also notes both offenses rank in the top five in points per drive, so we should see a lot of efficiency on Sunday at Lambeau Field. And getting to the matchup, Suma notes the Packers, the best offense in the league in his eyes, against a Bucks pass defense that's average at best. Drew agreed with this notion. Suma noted that last week the Packers crushed the number one defense in the league, and the Bucks' defensive aggressive scheme worked well against the Saints last week because Breeze couldn't get anything going downfield. That scheme doesn't translate to stopping the Packers' offense. And on the other side of the ball, Suma points out the Packers' defense has some good season-long stats, but they're propped up by an easy schedule, so the Bucks could represent a pretty big step up in class. And while the Packers do have a legitimately good pass rush, the Bucks also have a legitimately good offensive line, and that should be enough to neutralize the Packers' pass rush. Drew said he thinks this total should be at 55, and his deep dive co-host Andy also likes the over, thinking Green Bay should get off to a strong start, and then the defense possibly allowing a decent amount of points once the Packers have amassed a lead. That angle serves as a bit of a follow-up to a point Rob Pizzola made last week when it comes to the Packers' defense looking at EPA per play. They're borderline elite when the outcome of the game's in the balance, but 
only about average once the outcome of the game has been decided. And when it comes to Andy's handicap, even if the Packers don't start strong and build a big lead, he thinks both offenses more than capable of playing from behind against these defenses. Similar to the handicap he brought up with the Packers team total, both teams know that the offenses are capable of playing from behind, so whoever's leading should stay aggressive. Drew agreed with Andy on this point, and RJ seemed especially bullish on this angle if Green Bay has the lead, and it's Tampa Bay that has to be more aggressive on offense while playing from behind. Alright, so there's plenty to digest when it comes to the full game side and total angles, but if that wasn't enough, we've also got some derivatives in play here, mostly coming from Drew, with some alignment from his deep dive co-host Andy, along with the Dream Preview crew of RJ Fezzik and Matthew Holt. Looking at Drew's handicaps, focused on the Packers in the first quarter, the first half, and the first half team total. He really likes the Packers game script, Matt LaFleur doing really well with his first 15 plays each week, and he goes back to week 6 for this point. It was the Packers' worst game of the season, but they still dominated early, jumping out to a 10-0 lead. Drew also notes the Bucks tend to be really run-heavy early as they approach the game with a feeling-out process, and Fezzik adds to the first-half angle. Looking at season-long numbers, Green Bay's won the first half by an average of 8.5 points, and the Bucks by just 2 points. Drew and Andy also like the Packers' team total over 27.5 for the full game, saying the Bucks' defense is aggressive and that can open up some big windows going over the top, and since they like the Packers early, they think the Packers will need to stay aggressive if they're leading, knowing the Bucks' offense is capable of making a comeback. And I also like that the Dimers bot on the quick pick section at Dimers.com gives the Packers a 7.5% edge to cover the spread of 3.5 minus 105. I like the correlation between that angle and these derivatives. And you can check out what else the Dimers bot likes for this weekend by going to Dimers.com slash quick dash picks. I'll drop a link in the show notes for easy reference. Alright, so in addition to the full game sides, the total, the derivatives, we do have some props here as well. The Hitman liking Leonard Fournette to go over 42.5 rushing yards, and Fezzik liking sacks under 4.5. Breaking down the Hitman's handicap, he did mention 42.5 is the number one releasing the prop, but he said he likes it all the way up to 48.5, and 44.5 is the number I'm seeing available as the current consensus. The hitman calls out that Ronald Jones returned last week to the Bucks' backfield, but clearly isn't fully healthy with a quad injury. Fournette got 17 carries and ran for 63 yards last week against the number three rush defense in the NFL, if we look at yards per carry allowed, and he calls out that the Packers ranked 22nd in that category. The hitman also noting Fournette finally gaining the Bucks' trust. And I'm not eager to bet the other way, but I can't get on board with this bet right now. Yards per carry is about the least advanced metric there is, and when it comes to the narrative around the Bucks trusting Fournette, that might be true, or it might be that he's really been their only option for the past few weeks. If Ronald Jones looks any healthier this week, we could be seeing a lot more of him, and game script could also limit Fournette's role, because if the Packers do get out to an early lead, that could force the Bucks' offense to get more aggressive through the air. Looking at the sacks under 4.5 prop that Fezzik mentioned, he notes the defenses have combined to average 5.5 sacks per game, but the offensive lines protect these quarterbacks extremely well. The Packers allowed the third fewest sacks this season, and the Bucks the fourth fewest, and even if we look at the Packers missing star left tackle David Bakhtiari last week, that was a big question mark, their offensive line holding up against the Rams defensive front, the Packers still didn't allow a sack, and for Tampa Bay, star left guard Ali Marpet missed three games in the regular season, but the Bucks still posted elite numbers when it came to not allowing sacks on a season-long basis, and with Marpet being back and healthy, that bodes well for the Bucks' offensive line.
Matthew Holt and RJ went the other way here, going head-to-head with Fezzik, taking over four and a half for sacks because they expect the Bucks to have to throw from behind and Brady more susceptible to taking sacks than Rodgers. Alright, moving on to the AFC Championship game, Buffalo at Kansas City, not as much action in this one, Chiefs laying 3, minus 115, total 54, and the big reason there's not as much action in this one at the moment, the obvious X-Factor, Patrick Mahomes, if and when he's confirmed in and we continue to get promising reports on his health as he works through the concussion protocol and neck and toe injuries, We'll probably continue to see Chiefs and over money. This spread could get up to three and a half. And on the off chance we get negative news about Mahomes, we could see a boatload of bills and under money if anyone can get that in before this number gets taken off the board and the bills reopen as a clear favorite. One thing to touch on before we get into the handicap here, a much-discussed topic across the sports mediaverse this week, Andy Reid outmaneuvering Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski last week. I think this warrants a little revisiting to set the proper perspective. And to be clear, Reid deserves the credit he's getting for navigating the endgame brilliantly, and Stefanski a fair target for some of the criticism he's facing, but... Following up on last week's Malinsky Minute, I think we're seeing way too much emphasis on the result over the process. Something I haven't heard anywhere else because it didn't ultimately change the outcome of the game, but if it did, I think it's all we'd be hearing about, a key sequence of fourth downs running from late in the third quarter to early in the fourth. It began with the Chiefs up nine, about four minutes to go in the third quarter, with a fourth and one at the Browns' 15, and Andy Reid surprisingly decided to kick a field goal. That fourth and one was an almost automatic pickup, and instead, by kicking the field goal, he kept a two-possession game a two-possession game. And on the Browns' ensuing drive, they ran 18 plays, covering 75 yards for a touchdown, eating up more than eight minutes of game clock along the way, and they converted not one, but two key fourth downs on that drive, one from their own 34-yard line, another on fourth and three from the Chiefs' 12, and Stefanski's decisions to go for it in those spots effectively turned three points into seven. And that drive, no different in reality, regardless of what came next, but if the Browns had gone on to win the game, that drive would be the stuff of legend, and Reed would be getting roasted. Settling for a field goal kept the door open for the Browns, and Stefanski's aggression on the ensuing drive opened that door a little wider for the Browns. And keeping with a the theme of the media giving way too much weight to the result over the process, and in fairness to Reed, is there any doubt he'd be getting incinerated over the endgame if that fourth down pass to ice it didn't work out? Everything he's being praised for, from going for it in the first place, to catching the Browns off guard by snapping the ball with plenty of time left on the play clock, to passing instead of running, would be getting him ridiculed if it didn't work out. But that was brilliantly managed on Reed's part, regardless of the result. And the overall point here is that it's so easy for the media, fans, and other bettors to retrofit a narrative to a result. If the Browns had won that game, it would be just as easy to paint the narrative of Stefanski as the hero and Reed as the clown, when in reality, neither one is flawless and neither one is clueless. So let's be vigilant when listening to anyone analyze anything. There are no edges to be gained in blindly following the masses. We gain our edges by thinking for ourselves and weighing the process over the result. Now I know this can be tricky, the result can deviate wildly from the process in the short term, and bad process can be widely celebrated when it gets a good result, but in the long run, process wins and it becomes virtually indistinguishable from the result. Now moving on to the process of prognosticating results for the AFC Championship game, we have two likes on the Chiefs, Suma making him his best bet on the Matchbook podcast, as well as Andy liking the Chiefs. 
Three likes on the Bills, Drew on the deep dive, along with RJ and Fezzik on the dream preview. Quick note for Drew and Fezzik, that like on the Bills is contingent on seeing plus three and a half. RJ seemed content with the plus three. Also two likes on the under, Drew on the Matchbook podcast, as well as Matthew Holt. And they liked the under at 53.5. There has been a slight line move against them with the total ticking up to 54. We also had two props in this one. Chiefs to make the longest field goal, as well as the Chiefs to commit more penalties, both of those coming from Fezzik. Looking at the angles on the Chiefs against the spread, again, those likes coming from Suma and Andy. Suma notes that he likes the Chiefs' rest advantage after they sat a lot of starters in Week 17 and then enjoyed the AFC's only first-round bye. And from a matchup standpoint, Suma notes the Bills' defense invites opponents to run the ball and the Chiefs' offense top five rushing on early downs. Suma likes this because success on early downs keeps the full playbook open on high leverage downs, and we saw this play out in Week 6 when the Chiefs went on the road and had their way in Buffalo. Andy said he makes the fair line for this game, minus four with Mahomes in, and he's betting Mahomes plays and the line goes up. Suma shared that sentiment as well. On the Bills side of things, with those likes coming from Drew, Fezzik, and RJ, Drew and Fezzik noted that even if Mahomes is 100%, and that's a big if, this number's overstating the gap between these teams. And RJ and Fezzik added that the Week 6 matchup between Buffalo and Kansas City was an outlier because it was a horrible scheduling spot for the Bills after the Titans' COVID outbreak threw the Bills' schedule into disarray for a couple weeks early on in the season. And a quick reminder here, this like on the Bills is contingent on seeing a plus 3.5 for Drew and Fezzik, and I agree on needing that number to get involved. I think there's a pretty decent chance we see it. It's almost a certainty at this point that Mahomes is going to play, and the lines pretty much reflected that for days, but if and when he's confirmed in, I think we see even more Chiefs money as a knee-jerk reaction from the market. And maybe that extra money just adds more vig to the minus three, but it's quite possible this number comes off the three, and if we get to the Bills plus three and a half for the flat minus 110, that's going to go in pocket. Getting into the under, liked by Drew and Matthew Holt, Drew said that countering Suma's point regarding the Chiefs' rush offense, the Kansas City EPA per rush excluding Patrick Mahomes' scrambles is below league average, so that Chiefs' rush offense quite reliant on Mahomes, but there's a good chance the Chiefs protect Mahomes as he plays through multiple injuries on Sunday, and fewer scrambles in big moments could lead to less efficiency. On the deep dive, Drew said that he's leaning more toward the first half under 26.5, so that could possibly accompany his bet on the full game under as protection against the game script if the Chiefs build a lead and the Bills need to pass aggressively for the entire second half. So the more Drew talked about this, the more he seemed to come off the full game under, but Matthew Holt didn't seem to have many reservations about it. The primary point behind his handicap for the full game to go under is that he expects wind to disrupt the kicking and passing games. And I'm a little curious about this because I'm seeing a forecast for about 10 mile per hour winds at Arrowhead Stadium throughout the evening on Sunday, and that would be no big deal. So either Matthew Holt has better weather data or he's putting too much stock into there possibly being wind after the wind did have an effect on last weekend's game in Buffalo. Two props in this game as well, both coming from Fezzik. The first one, the Chiefs to make the longest field goal. He says the Chiefs have the better kicker in Harrison Butker and points out that Bills kicker Tyler Bass missed two field goals last week. And Fezzik shared a scenario of a 4th and 5 on the 35-yard line, thinking the Chiefs would go ahead and kick the field goal in that situation while the Bills would go for it. And I'd like to think that both teams would go for it in that situation, but either way, if we're going to isolate Bass's misses last week, I think it's worth noting that Butker also missed two kicks last weekend, including a PAT. So Butker missed kicks from 32 and 33 yards 
in good conditions, and Bass missed from 43 and 44 yards in really windy conditions, so relatively speaking, that was a much worse showing for Butker. So I'm not seeing quite enough to get in play on this one, but where I think Fezzik might have an edge here is that Bills head coach Sean McDermott is rational enough to go ahead and go for it on that 4th and 5 scenario from the 35-yard line, whereas Andy Reid, if he kicked a field goal on 4th and 1 from the Browns' 15 last week, probably would go ahead and attempt that 53-yard field goal if he's presented with the same situation. Another angle on props for Fezzik in the AFC Championship game, looking at penalties, he notes both teams are averaging about 6 penalties per game, a little more for the Chiefs, they're in the range of 6.5 penalties a game, but he notes the Bills have committed 3 or fewer accepted penalties in each of their last 4 games, and that leads him to the conclusion that the Bills have cleaned things up, so he has bets on the Chiefs to commit more accepted penalties than the Bills, as well as the Chiefs to commit the first accepted penalty, a lot of the driving force behind this is that the Bills cleaning things up likely not built into the line as much as the Chiefs being favored because, Fezzik notes, penalty props often factor in which team is favored as much as, if not more than, the team-specific penalty numbers. And to this, I'd add that two of those four Bill games that Fezzik mentioned have come in the playoffs, so these are games with really high stakes. And in games with higher stakes, the refs are more inclined to let the players play and swallow the whistle. So that also brings to mind a look at the under for 12.5 accepted penalties in the game. And I also heard a good Super Bowl bet when listening to AFC Championship game breakdowns. Drew and the deep dive guest this week, Will Brinson, making a good case for Patrick Mahomes to win the Super Bowl MVP award. The assumption here is that if the Chiefs win, they'll be favored in the Super Bowl, and the quarterback of the winning team is almost always the Super Bowl MVP. We don't have to look back far. Last year, a lot of people felt Damian Williams should have won the award, but it went to Mahomes as more of a default. And they think the price for Mahomes this year in the Super Bowl, if the Chiefs make it, will be in the range of minus 125. You can get a much better price on that this week before the conference championship games kick off. So I like where they're going with this one. I see an edge on it as well. More to come a little later. But first, now that we've made it through the conference championship Sunday game breakdowns, it's time for a quick beer break. Let's get into what we're drinking. And for Conference Championship Sunday, we're going to return to my favorite brewery one more time this football season, going with Rough Translation, a cologne-style Kolsch by Green Cheek Beer Company in Orange, California. Rough Translation clocks in at 4.6% ABV, and the appearance, a slightly foggy golden orange with a fluffy white head, also some signature fun can art from Green Cheek, with its mascot, the Green Cheek Parrot Cheeky, on a red and white striped can. I'll post a photo on Instagram, at Props and Hops, so you can check it out. Getting into the aroma and flavor of Rough Translation, fresh baked bread, a little bit of floral notes, also some subtle fruit notes, and on the mouthfeel, Rough Translation is light and crisp, Overall, it's another crushable beer, perfect for an afternoon and evening full of watching football, and that makes Rough Translation similar in a sense to the wildcard weekend show beer, Bad Ombre Mexican-style lager by Boomtown. So if we're getting ready to drink some Rough Translation, let's give it our best shot at a smooth translation from the conference championship betting board to a strong weekend portfolio. Time to get into what we're betting. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. And you better believe there's some gambling going on in here for conference championship weekend, but knowing there's only two games on the board, we're looking at some tight spreads and totals this week, betting into a very efficient marketplace. So if you're looking for a free roll for each game this weekend, Dimers.com is giving you the chance to answer six questions to win $1,000. 
All you need to do to enter is go to freetoplay.dimers.com. I'll drop a link in the show notes for easy reference. And the contest for each game is presented by our good friends at the Doggy Juice Podcast. To enter, it takes less than a minute. All you need to do is answer some multiple choice questions for each game. And those questions include picking an outright winner, picking the margin of victory, and for example, dimers.com gives ranges that you can choose from, such as Packers by 1 to 5 points, or Packers from 6 to 10 points, and so on. Another question, the method of the first score, in other words, which team scores first and what type of score is it? You can also pick the first touchdown score for each game, as well as whether the game goes over or under the total, and the total number of touchdowns scored in the game. So there's nothing to lose by giving it a shot, and if you get it right, your winnings will effectively pay for free beers for years, and it doesn't get much better than that. Alright, so getting into the conference championship Sunday bets, one side, the Bills plus 3.5 at a flat minus 110, and this one is pending availability. If we don't see this number, then it's a pass, but I think we might see it if and when Mahomes is confirmed in, because there could be some extra Chiefs money hitting the marketplace as a knee-jerk reaction. I make Chiefs minus 3 the fair line if both teams are at full strength, so Buffalo plus 3.5 at a flat minus 110 is good for eight-tenths of a unit. It's a small edge, but I think it's enough to get in play because we'd be getting the biggest half point in the NFL, plus a free roll on Patrick Mahomes being limited, and I'm inclined to think that toe injury is the one that could be a bigger factor. Also looking at one total this weekend, the Bucks packers game to go over 51.5. Good for eight-tenths of a unit. Make it a full unit if you can get that key number of 51. And with this total, I think we have some clear points for comparison. Week 6, Packers at Bucks, that total closed 55. Since then, the Bucks defense has gotten worse. Their offense has gotten better. And at Lambeau Field on Sunday, the weather is not looking like a factor, so the total should be about the same as the closing number of 55 from that first matchup. We also have a point of comparison looking back just to last week, the Bucks saints game closing at 53. We're looking at the same Tampa Bay team this weekend, and instead of the Saints, we're looking at the Packers, who have a better offense and a worse defense than the Saints, so this total should be higher than that closing number of 53 last Sunday in the Superdome. From a matchup standpoint, both offenses are capable of big gains in the pass game if they're playing from behind, and both secondaries can be exploited, so with no lead being safe, either team playing from ahead should keep its foot on the gas. Also looking at the derivatives this weekend, let's call this one the Green Bay 4 Packers. Four bets, each for a quarter of a unit, totaling one unit of exposure on Green Bay. Starting with the first quarter, laying half a point for plus 105 in return. And for context, a half a point is worth about 70 cents on the first quarter line. So if you have access to the Packers' first quarter money line for minus 165 or better, consider that route. I know it's laying a lot more VIG, but that's a premium price for a reason. A push in any first quarter is very much on the table. That said, if you're getting a plus money return laying the half a point, it's worth putting in pocket. So is the first half for the Packers, minus 2.5 at minus 115, along with the full game team total over 27.5, and and the Packers laying the points for the full game with a spread of 3.5, laying minus 105. So all four of these bets are correlated, overall leaning toward a strong start for the home team, and that's because the Packers are good with game scripts, and the Bucks tend to start slower as part of their feeling out process. I like this as a diversified angle to get in play against the Bucks after their misleading final score last weekend in New Orleans. The Bucks in that game went plus four in turnovers, and they scored all three of their touchdowns off turnovers. Those three touchdown drives covered a grand total of 63 yards. They're not going to get the same kind of gifts from the Packers this weekend in the NFC Championship game. 
three props in pocket for this weekend as well, each of them likely to be more widely available as we get closer to kickoff. The first one, Bucks Packers, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. I like this prop for both games up to minus 160, but I like the NFC Championship game a little more despite the slightly lower total. As mentioned last week, the Chiefs are more explosive than efficient on offense. They did get a one-yard rushing touchdown from Patrick Mahomes on their first drive in the divisional round, but they might be more hesitant to run that same play given his injury status this week. I really love the matchup in the NFC Championship game. Neither defense is overly imposing, and there's no shortage of options for either offense to punch it in from the one. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, the king of the one-yard touchdown pass this year, had another one to Devontae Adams for the first touchdown last week. Rodgers also ran in a one-yard touchdown, as did Aaron Jones, showing that the Packers have multiple ways of finding the end zone when they get near the goal line. And for the Bucks, the same story applies. Tom Brady, the master of the quarterback sneak, he used it to score from the one last weekend, and the Bucks' offensive line against the Packers' defensive front also opens the door for Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones to score from the one, Plus, the Bucks have some big pass-catching options such as Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski, and that gives them the ability to match the Packers' prowess when it comes to scoring through the air with a short field. Another prop for the NFC Championship game, second half to be the higher scoring half, and for this one it's important to read the fine print so that you know if you're working with a three-way line, in which case the same number of points in both halves wouldn't be a push. It's also important to know if overtime counts toward the second half total. If it does, that adds a touch of value to the second half side of things. And overall, if you're working with a three-way line where you can't get a push and overtime doesn't count toward the second half total, I still make this good up to minus 125. But if you can get a push via a two-way line, and if overtime does count for the second half, I like this all the way up to minus 135. The general concept here, high stakes games tend to start slow as there's a bit of a feeling out process. This is very common in the Super Bowl, and this game is as high as the stakes get without it being the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's also got an especially strong track record of that feeling out process in big games. He tends to be more conservative early with his offenses getting more aggressive late. And in this specific matchup, both offenses capable of explosive passing plays, both defenses prone to allowing them, so either team playing from behind should be able to find success through the air, and either team playing from ahead should know it's not safe to take its foot off the gas. Bottom line here, I'm expecting a fairly conservative start, with the play calling opening up as the game progresses. Also a prop bet for the AFC Championship game, let's call it the penalty three-pack, each of these bets for one-third of a unit, totaling one unit of exposure. First up, the Chiefs to commit the first accepted penalty, also the Chiefs to commit more accepted penalties than the Bills for the full game, and total accepted penalties under 12.5. Consider each of these bets good up to minus 115, and as far as the handicap goes, these lines are likely to give more weight to the Chiefs being the clear favorite than the Bills being the team that commits fewer penalties, and overall, in big games like this, the refs tend to be more inclined to swallow the whistle and let them play. And one more early Super Bowl bet while there's still time, Patrick Mahomes to win Super Bowl MVP, good at plus 250 or better. I'll walk through a little math here that shows a big enough edge to put this in play. The Chiefs' true money line this weekend, factoring out the VIG, is about minus 155, 
and the assumption is that if the Chiefs win, they're most likely favored in the Super Bowl, and Mahomes' Super Bowl MVP odds jump to about minus 125. So if we take the percentage odds of the Chiefs winning this week times the percentage odds of Mahomes' presumed Super Bowl MVP line, that works out to about 61% times 56%, or a 34% probability that Mahomes wins the Super Bowl MVP award. Let's think of it as roughly a 1 in 3 chance that this happens. So that 1 in 3 chance would imply the big free line for Mahomes to win Super Bowl MVP should be plus 200, and that's why I make this good at plus 250 or better. Plus 250 implies a 29% probability Mahomes wins the Super Bowl MVP award, and that 29% sells him short of the 34% odds per the equation we just walked through, and I like that this leaves a few percentage points of wiggle room on the off chance Mahomes doesn't play this Sunday, or he plays and the Chiefs win, but Mahomes doesn't look good for health or performance reasons. And even factoring in that off chance, I'm still seeing value here, since we're seeing the Mahomes Super Bowl MVP odds available right now for as high as plus 300, consider it good, down to plus 250. So to recap the conference championship weekend bets, it might not be so rapid fire this time around, I'll try to keep it as clear as possible. Bills plus 3.5, Bucks Packers over 51.5, looking at the derivatives, the Green Bay 4-pack, four bets, each for a quarter of a unit, totaling one unit of exposure on the Packers, and those four bets would be first quarter, minus half a point, plus 105, first half, minus 2.5, minus 115, Full game, team total over 27.5, and, and for the full game, laying 3.5 points at minus 105. Also three props, Bucks Packers, shortest touchdown under 1.5 yards, good to minus 160. Also for the Bucks Packers game, second half to be the higher scoring half, and in the AFC Championship game, the penalty three-pack of bets, each worth a third of a unit to total one unit of exposure, Chiefs to commit the first penalty, Chiefs to commit more penalties in the game than the Bills, and under 12.5 penalties in the game. Also, one more early Super Bowl bet, Patrick Mahomes to win the MVP award, good at plus 250 or better. Alright, and last but not least, the Malinsky Minute. This week's words of wisdom, most things are not worth having an opinion about. These are the words of James Clear, the author of the book Atomic Habits, and my interpretation here is that we only have the capacity for so much, so it's best to apply that capacity to what matters most. Dave was a master of this. It seemed like he got 36 hours a day when the rest of us only get 24. And applying this quote to sports, I've talked openly throughout the season about being a Chargers fan, and my favorite team just hired a new head coach. That's a major event, so I should probably have a pretty strong opinion, right? To that, my response would be, not so fast. And for context, last Sunday, news broke the Chargers were hiring Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley as their new head coach, and there was quite a bit of backlash. The day before, reports had surfaced that Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable was the favorite to land the job, and that seemed like a perfect match for a young star quarterback in Justin Herbert. With Staley being more defensive-minded, that turned off a lot of fans. Staley's also young and unproven in the eyes of many. He just turned 38 last month. He only has one season of experience at a level as high as coordinator. But taking a step back here, when looking at Dable, like many fans, I was excited last Saturday morning to hear the news that he was likely the Chargers guy. And when I first read on Sunday that Staley had gotten the job, I was bummed. But then I quickly recognized that feeling. It was almost identical to the way I felt when the Dolphins drafted Tua Tagovailoa right in front of the Chargers in April, and Herbert felt like a consolation prize. Lo and behold, 
We got to see a lot of game action from both quarterbacks this season, and it was much more promising for Herbert than Tua. So I think it's important here to acknowledge the human element, it's okay to have a gut reaction, but tying this in with James Clear's words, we need to be able to differentiate between that gut reaction and an intense reaction. As a recurring theme of the season, there's so much uncertainty to all this, and we'd be arrogant as fans to assume we know best. We might know more than Chargers ownership, unfortunately, but we're still not working with anything near complete information, and we don't know everything the team knew when making the decision. Hopefully it was much more nuanced than a matter of Staley being available now versus having to wait until the Bills' season was over to seal the deal with Dable. But regardless, hiring a head coach, much like the NFL draft, largely a crapshoot. And as far as the criticism goes around the Chargers hiring a defensive-minded head coach, Staley most recently did serve as defensive coordinator, but he played quarterback through college, and he described himself at his introductory press conference yesterday as a defensive coach with an offensive mind, and that ability to see the big picture on both sides of the ball could prove to be a major positive. And as far as the criticism goes around Staley being young and unproven, established head coaches with a proven track record of success are rarely available. Almost every head coaching candidate is either a retread or unproven, and because of that, there's the inherent element of risk involved in the equation. So the bottom line here, it's irrationally popular to go big with hot takes and instant analysis for something we have almost no real information to analyze, and I know it's not as sexy, but it's increasingly clear that the best approach is to give something like this time to play out before making a judgment. This could prove to be a reach and ultimately to be GM Tom Telesco's undoing, but it could also be a home run. For now, the simple reality is that we don't know. A lot of people instantly piled on the Chargers for drafting Herbert 6th overall back in April. I certainly got text messages about it as it happened. But how are those loosely informed knee-jerk reactions holding up less than a year later? To be clear, I'll be first in line to hammer the Chargers if we find out they did hire Staley over Dable out of impatience, or worse yet, incompetence, but that might not be the case. For now, I think we acknowledge it's a bold strategy, and let's see if it pays off. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. Alright, and applying this more broadly to everyday life, it's important to have interests, build relationships, and stay informed of current events, but we can't obsess over everything. We've only got so much bandwidth to go around, and that magnifies the importance of keeping a strict diet when it comes to media consumption, who we associate with, and how we use our time and energy. Just like it's not a productive use of time to get worked up over a coaching hire that'll likely take years to properly judge, we're in no position to say what most of today's events mean for tomorrow. There are simply too many unknowns, and it's better to focus on what matters here and now. I know that's not always the most exciting approach, but I firmly believe that ultimately it's the most rewarding when it comes to productivity and peace of mind. So to wrap this up, it's perfectly okay, even encouraged, not to have an opinion about most things, and instead, in the words of the legendary Ron Swanson, Never half-ass two things. Whole-ass one thing. And on that note, I'll whole-ass the process of signing off. Thanks for listening. I know this episode's run a little bit longer than usual, but if you found any value in it, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. Now let's get out there and enjoy Conference Championship Sunday in the NFL. As a quick programming note, I'll be back next week with the first repeat guest in Props and Hops history. We'll dive into some evergreen concepts we can use to sharpen how we approach sports betting in general, plus, of course, some preliminary Super Bowl discussion. I'll have the full Super Bowl breakdown in two weeks. In the meantime, I'll look forward to reconnecting next week. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Mm-hmm.